Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. On the Onyx Hunt app, is really creates maps for hunting that are made by hunters with over 400 different overlays and almost 10,000 unique hunting units, um, 985 million acres of public land, maps for all 50 states, detailed public-private boundaries, landowner names, hunting districts, everything you could think of, all at your fingertips. And you can use this without cell phone service. You can use this on your desktop, your tablet, smartphone, whatever that is. You can access the Onyx Hunt app, and they all link together with each other. It's one of the only things that that I use every single time that I'm in the woods. So if you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app, go to onyxmaps.com. And if you use the coupon code EMW, you can save yourself 20% off of the app. So the University of Elk Hunting, the online course, uh, what that'll get you. So Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most comprehensive and complete resource for increasing your elk hunting knowledge, confidence, and hopefully success. So in addition to having you know full access to this entire course for one year, you also have access to the UEH mobile app, which basically just puts the content from the online course right in the palm of your hand. And just like with Onyx, anytime, anywhere, with or without internet or cellular connection, really helpful uh, to be able to refer to something on a hunt, on the drive to a hunt, whatever that might be. So you also get a bunch of different discounts from Elk 101 partners, including 15% off of elk hunting gear from the Elk 101 store. So basically, you can pay for your whole cost of membership just by buying a few pieces of gear and the, and the money savings that you get from that. Um, if you're interested in the course, use the coupon code East Meets West, and you can save yourself 20% off of the annual membership at elk101.com. So go ahead and uh, check that out. And then lastly, Mountain Tough Fitness. So Mountain Tough is 12 months of training right in the palm of your hand. Again, same thing with, you see the trend here with Onyx, Elk 101, everything you use available right at the palm of your hand. You have a video-based program that's delivered directly to your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. You have private access to the lab, which is a, a community of like-minded people for feedback, accountability, and support. Access to the Mountain Tough coaches for questions. And so this is you know, an online course uh, that's designed for hunters to put you in the, the best shape of your life, not just physically, but mentally. And there's, you know, each program is split up into, you know, training specific. Um, you can basically, you can get the, the all access, which is the full 12 months. You can just try out the preseason one. This was a 16 week program, you know, leading up to the season. There's a whole bunch of different avenues here. Um, really great um, program that I'm on my second year going through. Haven't uh, I can truly say that I have never felt better um, from a physical and mental standpoint. So head over to mountaintough.com and you can find a whole bunch more information on there. And uh, feel free to reach out with any questions. Okay, so first of all, let's say I apologize for not getting this podcast out on time. 
I um, thought I had it uploaded, um, ready to go, and I did not, and I was traveling to Mexico for work and did not have my hard drive to be able to upload it. I completely, like I said, apologize for that. Uh, that's why as soon as I got back, um, getting this episode out here, but, um, thank you for being patient with it there. Uh, this, this podcast here with Ryan Carter is really cool. It's different than some of the other elk hunting ones I've done in the past. And, um, really cool to see the correlation with, you know, hunting big bulls, you know, you know, like hunting whitetails and it's, uh, it's a really interesting podcast here with Ryan, who's just extremely talented on getting people on truly world-class animals. But uh, as far as what's going on uh, currently, we're you know really getting into what I call the prime of scouting for mountain bucks. And uh, this weekend, uh, it'll be the first time I'm really hitting the woods. And it's a little late for me, but I've uh, been busy and just prioritize some different things uh in my life and and um that's just the way it is i mean everyone uh knows that that feeling there so i'm gonna be really hitting it hard here um getting out doing some scouting i think this weekend with there's still being some snow on the ground not being able to see as much sign as normal i think i'm going to really focus on actually shed hunting versus um scouting which are two different tactics in my opinion but um going to get out and uh, do a little bit of that. I think I'm going to, well, I, I definitely am going to link up with Johnny Stewart and Greg Litzinger and try to record a podcast. Those guys are going to be scouting together. Um, I'm going to be going to some of my own spots, but be, you know, meeting up with those guys in the evening, which will be pretty, pretty exciting to get them on their, you know, wealth of knowledge, talk to them. And uh, yeah, I'm just super pumped about it. Uh, to get out in the woods here this is my absolute favorite time of year be looking for a lot more mountain buck content next week on the podcast i have troy pottinger coming back on crowd favorite there to talk about almost two hours worth of shed hunting and scouting and everything with mountain bucks uh so there's a lot of lot of good stuff coming up here down the pipeline and it's gonna be a really exciting spring so as always, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. And if you like the podcast, you know, give it a rating, review, and share it with your buddies. I really greatly appreciate that. Lastly, I have some new apparel being designed here. Well, actually, I, I did design it already. It's on order, and uh, probably here second, third week of March should be coming in. Uh, Going to have it at the DIY Western Hunting Summit, which is put on by backcountry hunters and anglers at kinsey's store in um i'm trying to think somewhere down by hershey pennsylvania uh so that's like that's the weekend of march 21st Uh, i'll be there doing two seminars on fitness and e-scouting so i'll be there for both of those things um and then i'll have my new apparel there for sale as well hopefully as long as it gets done in time I'm, i'm pushing for it pretty hard so um yeah other than that, let's uh, let's get into this podcast here with Ryan Carter. Sweet. All right, we're live. I'm back for another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast, and tonight I'm joined on the line by Ryan Carter out in Utah. What's going on, buddy? Yeah, yeah. Hey, bro. 
just just getting off work let's do a show yeah man i'm uh i'm excited to, to to get to talk to you we've messaged back and forth on instagram quite a few times but uh i've never been able to talk to you so this this will be cool well i i like following guys like you because you're like my uh antithesis like you're my opposite i'm the guy who's <laughs> raised out west and likes to go back east and you're the guy from back east who's killed a bunch of big whitetails and like to come west yeah so (laughs) it's fun to uh follow around and see what you guys do yeah that's uh yeah it's 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 enjoyable to do that and kind of it's it's funny to me because you know my you know dreams have just always been surrounded by going out west and doing it and you know for a while there i kind of took for granted you know what i had here and now, you know, through just the podcast and being able to talk to a bunch of people, it's like kind of what you just said. There's a lot of people from the West that are like, man, like I'd love, you know, hunting whitetails and, and getting a chance to doing that because it's just different. Yeah. Well, I mean, every hunt you grow a little, right? You, you learn new things. What I do with elk is a lot of what I learned based off whitetail TV. And so... Like, I mean, it, it's crazy, but the more you can spread your wings, the the better, like, killer you're going to be if that's your goal, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, if anybody that's hunting would probably be lying if they didn't say that was their goal or yeah, a, a big part of it. <laughs> well, I mean, some people love to hunt. Some people like to watch things die. There's, I mean, there's everyone's got a different kind of spice. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think we're all in on the same boat for like, we, we all like to harvest our own meat and get out and, and be a part of nature. I think that's our main goal. Yeah, for sure, man. So uh, I guess let's, let's start, uh, by going into a little background of yourself. If, uh, if you would, um, yeah, uh, central Utah raised, um, I got three daughters married to my wife for 22 years. Um, have a, small business out of Salt Lake City I run and then have my outfitting business in Southern Utah where we guide big bull hunts. And I've been doing that for roughly, oh, 15 years now. Okay. And, um, so, so you're actually, well, actually have something I learned here just before we got on the air, but so you're, you know, working in another full-time job and then doing the outfitting thing as well. Oh yeah. Elk County is just a side gig, man. Like, um, <laughs> I, I love it and it allows me to do what I love and get paid. But, uh, and unless you're one of those big outfits running through two, 300 guys a year, uh, you're not making money. I, I go negative every year, but I, I don't do it to make money. I do it cause I love seeing big elk die. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, elk, elk hunting's one thing. It's fun, but, uh, trying to di- tackle like pinpoint one bull and, 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 kind of figure out his routines and get him dead that's what i enjoy doing it's different and it's hard and that's why i like it yeah so how did you how did you get into the whole outfitting gig uh well so i i drew my limited entry hunt here in utah when i was probably oh 26 27 um killed a really nice bull at the time utah never broke 400 killing a 380 bull was unheard of and i i shot like a 370 something on a local unit here um and then the next few years i just started picking up clients it seemed like 2000 
10 or 11, Utah went into a system where you had to have your outfitting license if you wanted to guide hunts. So I just started my own business and, and picked up a few guys to help me and been rolling ever since. Yeah, interesting. So with um, so with having that outfitting business and, you know, one of the prime places is in, you know, southern Utah there. What um, – so explain a little bit about – you know, that process to be able to hunt there. And, and those, it seems like, you know, that's a, you know, someone's lifetime goal to be able to hunt some of those giant bulls that you see coming out of those places. Or if you, uh, if anybody follows you on Instagram that sees some of the the ones your clients take and it's just pretty amazing. Well, that's the biggest problem, isn't it? Like, I think my biggest question I get through direct messages on my platforms is, how do I come hunt with you? Um, The the very first question I have to ask them, uh, what's your goal? Are you a non-resident or a resident? And have you ever put in for the lottery hunts? Um, The the problem with coming out west, you know, it's it's nice going east because I can try a couple different leases. I can bounce around. It, it's more of a money game than it is a, a tag game. Whereas out West, it, it's easy to hire me. Getting permits is the, the thing to tackle. It's hard. Um, so out West, when you come hunt, there's a lottery system. Like they, there's so many people putting in for each tag. You know, sometimes your odds are 10,000 to one. It, it can be overwhelming. Uh, the, when each year you put in in most states, Utah, Arizona, Nevada, Wyoming, you acquire points each year you put in. Uh, Montana and New Mexico, not so much. A lot of the tags are uh, – there's no preference point system. So you can draw some of those tags every other year, every third year. Whereas um, in Utah, a lot of tags you can't draw without 20 preference points behind you, 20 years of putting in. Um, a lot of these elk tags are once in a lifetime opportunities. Um, th- there are systems that you can buy auction tags. They set tags aside, auction them off for big dollars for conservation efforts. Um, my area in particular, uh, probably averages tags are between 55 and 75,000 a year. So, uh, getting a tag is your biggest hurdle coming out West. Yeah. all that makes sense yeah no that's that definitely makes sense and and you know we um talked about it on a a recent episode of the podcast just the basis behind you know the different types of draws and you know dived a little bit into the point creep but not you know this is that's a perfect example of that and that's similar to what what's happening in like even in some of the good units in in colorado as well right Oh yeah, two and two hundred one. I I know guys that have twenty eight points and can't pull that tag. Um, it, it's a weird deal. It, it's kind of sad, and I, it's something that has to be addressed because the the biggest problem with this is so Utah. Say uh, say for my unit, there's twenty four early season rifle tags set aside uh, for the lottery. Um, twelve of those goes to a max point pool, which any the the most amount of points you can put in. Say there's four guys with twenty four points, they're almost guaranteed one of the twelve tags that are set aside for the max point pool. The next point pool, which would be twenty three, uh, 
say there's 12 of those guys, eight of those guys have an opportunity of pulling that tag. Gives them like a one in 1.4 chance of drawing. Now the other 12 tags go out randomly. So you can have one point or seven points or 20 points and, and your name is in that hat, so to say 20 times, but you're only going for 12 tags. You're, you're cut in half statistically to draw the tag. And so that's where the point creep kind of, if I can make it kind of make sense, um, you want to look at, all right, the max point pool is 24. There's four guys, 23, there's eight. By the time you get down to the line of 16, there's a thousand guys going for 12 tags per year for the next X amount of years. If you don't have at least 16 points, you will never beat the point creep. If that makes sense. Statistically, you can draw the random tags, but if you follow statistics and you're going by max point pool, you'll never get it. And the biggest problem with that is, is kids like say you're 12 years old this year and you're putting in for your first point. Statistically, you will never draw that tag in your lifetime. And so it's going to be addressed. There'll be some changes made. I'm sure a lot of these states, Utah, Arizona, Nevada in particular, uh, where they're going to have to make some changes because it's going to cripple our youth from ever being successful on on tags like that. Now, that being said, there's a lot of units that are good that you can draw with 10 points. And big bulls come off them. It's just not very often they break the bookmark, which is 375. Mm-hmm. Uh, so within those those other units, do you do you guide in some of those other ones that are you know take less points to to be able to pull the tag? Um, I don't anymore. The uh, I, I've kind of painted myself into a corner, so to speak. Um, I, I really uh, produce some of the best bulls off of one unit, and so based on demand, I, I kind of end up staying there. Mm-hmm. which which is which is good and bad because i i know the rotations of a lot of the bulls we're chasing because only two or three of them die a year um if i look at 2019 alone uh let's say i had 14 bulls over 375 only three of them died and i should have at least six that will break that next year so yeah. my numbers are growing as far as the bulls i'm keeping track of versus what's dying and so it's nice because i have a history with a bunch of bulls that are upper age class nine to 11 years old okay Uh, that makes that makes sense and so um but but there is a chance though like what you were saying with uh the random pool so anybody if i you know was to put in you know there is a, a chance that i could draw that tag oh yeah it's just not so like say archery because archery is my favorite thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's only two non-resident tags for archery. One will go to the max point pool, which last year, I think the guy that drew it, it's 24. And then the other one went random. My friend Jeff drew it with 11 points from Texas. Um, Jeff killed an awesome bull. Like I, I don't think we taped him. He's mid three seventies. I'm sure he's on the cover of Eastman's bow hunter this month. Um, and he, he had a great time. The guy with 24 turned it in and they reallocated that to somebody else. I don't know who drew it because I didn't see any ripples. 
which means he probably killed an average par bull. I mean, the bow hunt's hard, right? And and I don't know who drew it because he didn't hire me. But yeah. Um, so like you have a chance, but there's only one random tag available, which man, 11 points, 24 points. Yeah. Your, your odds aren't very good when 800 people are putting in, you know? <laughs> and that, that's what I was wondering. Cause I, I knew that, you know, Jeff drew that tag and had that hunt with you this year. Um, I was wondering how, how he did it. If he had, you know, a ton of points or if he was one of the ones that that drew it in the random there, but oh, that's crazy that there's only two tags given out to non-residents in that unit. Yeah, no, it, it makes it super tough. It, it's fun. I mean, that's why we have a couple units that produce giant, giant bulls is because that, you know, they don't over harvest. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at the, at the same time, it, it makes it tough. I mean, running an outfitting business, getting clientele that are, you know, worth paying time. Yeah. So it's, it's a weird deal. It's a catch 22, but in all reality, like I said before, I, I do this because I love it and I can write off buying a lot of crap <laughs> <Right? Yeah. laughs> more, more than making revenue. Cause the revenue just isn't there. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, but let's go back to what you were, uh, you know, starting to explain there before I, I cut in, but about, uh, you know, some of the other places that you can hunt that you can still, you know, chase some pretty big bulls, but you know, with less, less points. So, um, how, how are you going about, you know, I guess finding these areas or, or researching them to, to know what your draw odds are with the tags and, and sort of speak. Um, I think your best resources is, is going with some of the, uh, companies like hunting fool and go hunt and epic hunts that break down your, your success rates. They, they look at your point numbers. They, they look at what the successes were the years prior and they shift your points around on the, on to units that would make more sense. Um, if you're looking at it from a poor man's perspective, which is, you know, the boat I'm in, um, you, what you can do is you can look at, so like Utah, um, that that's where I'm from. So it's easiest to break this one down. They only have three units with the upper age class, animals so they manage say the boulder unit where i'm at they manage that for a six-year-old bull plus unit um whereas like the wasatch front which you hear about a lot on instagram and stuff the wasatch is only managed for a three to four-year-old bull unit the wasatch gives out uh just early rifle alone 270 tags they probably do 450 total for the year um, now the age class is lower. Most of the bulls that come off are big fives and small sixes, 320, 340 class is a great bull for those units, but you can draw them in five years. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, my unit where there's only two archery and 12 rifle. And I mean, I mean, your odds of pulling one of those tags are it's, I mean, ridiculous. So like when Jeff drew and he called me, I just laughed like, cause I thought he was joking. You know, he, <laughs> I mean, the fact that I am friends with the guy that actually drew that tag, non-resident, the one tag, the one random happens to be one of my friends. I thought it was a joke, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I'm a, you know, whatever, dude, call me back later. I like, I don't, I don't have time for jokes. I'm busy right now. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, no, <laughs> seriously, Drew, he's bouncing off the walls, you know? So, um, the, there is a chance. There's always a chance. And so I, I hate deterring people. I, I hate getting the call, like, how do I hunt with you? And I have to explain to them, you know, hiring me is easy. The 
getting the tags hard and, and seeing people sad about it because in all reality, uh, just Utah alone has 20 units that you can draw within eight years that, I mean, say the, like the fish lake produced three bulls over 380 this year. Uh, it's our biggest elk herd. It's where they give out the most tags. I think there's 550 tags that go to that unit for big bulls and it broke 383 times last year. Like, and I don't want people to ever feel like their dreams are squashed of killing a giant, giant bull because they haven't been putting in for the draws forever. Like the time to start is right now. Utah's open right now. Wyoming just closed. Arizona's going right now. Montana's open right now. Like this day, what is it? February 4th Mm -hmm. is the time to put in. So, you know, that's how you get it done. You don't have to be, be uh, deterred from the horrible point creep that most of us have. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a good, I'm glad you explained it that way. Cause I, I know with, you know, me last year as I was trying to figure out how I was going to allocate my money, you know, to, to putting in for tags or, you know, or building points, you know, there's all of us, you know, or most of us have, you know, a certain budget or whatever you got to hit so i was trying to figure out and utah kind of fell off my radar a little bit because i felt like it was just not going to be you know i didn't really have a chance there and you know afterwards after i missed the deadline last year you know i i did hear a little bit you know more about it and you know talk to some other people and you know by you know listening to you talk about it here it sounds like you know a state that i definitely shouldn't you know, overlook is a possibility. No, um, it's, it's, it's incredible to me the amount of big bulls this state has in areas that just don't get talked about. They, I mean, there are just hidden gems. There was, I think it was last year. No, it was 17. A bull came off the cash unit, which is in Northern Utah. It's right on the Idaho border. It's known for, five points. I mean, you, you go up there to just pull a tag and kill an okay bull and, and have a laugh with your friends and go home. Cause you can do it in five years as a resident, eight or nine as a non-resident. Uh, probably the biggest typical I, I've ever seen, uh, heaviest for sure. I, I think that bull ended up 421 typical and 411 net came off the cash, a unit that nobody spends any time looking at and the kid that killed it his buddy killed a 389 the year before so they had located a couple older age class bulls on just some little hidden spot in fact i I think if i remember hearing right the first kid drew the tag killed the 380 something bull found the big one the kid bought the other kid bought the tag the next year at an auction for under eight grand like that's ridiculous you you can't go to montana for under 15 you can find very few outfitted hunts in Colorado for under 12 to kill a decent elk in the West without playing the lottery system. Plan on spending 15 to 25 grand to hunt. Um, You know, within the lottery system, your tags a thousand dollars and you can DIY a hunt and and kill a nice bull for, you know, thousand bucks. It's, it's, if you're playing the lottery system, that's the way to go Mm -hmm. uh, budget wise. But it's an interesting interesting thing it's just there's a lot of research that goes into it and so you know like what you know when i saw your video posted the other day and watched you kill that bull i I loved it because it 
it just goes to show it, you do the right amount of homework coming out West isn't that big of a deal, mm-hmm. but looking at it on paper, if you're looking at statistics and you're looking at budgets and all this stuff, it, it really seems impossible when it's just not, you, you can do it. It's great. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, it's a great way to put it. And like I said, you know, I, I said a little bit in the video and stuff there, but it was, you know, something that I thought was almost kind of impossible at first. And once I did it, you know, it's like, all right, you know, now I just need to, you know, go back again and, you know, do some more research and more preparing for it and learn, you know, more about elk. And as you do that, you just gain, you know, gain knowledge and, and, um, you know, it's all, all depends on, you know, what your goals are. You know, my goal for that was, you know, any bull elk, that's what I wanted. And, you know, and depending on what your, your goals are, you can, there's a hunt for you. <laughs> right. And, and I tell people all the time, like, you're never going to learn how to hunt Idaho if you don't go to Idaho. Mm-hmm. Like just take a, take a gamble. You can, you can buy an Idaho tag cheap, 300, 400 bucks. Uh, I mean, just go. That's how you learn. And you, you'll probably fall on your face, but the next year you'll have 10 times the knowledge walking into it and you'll ask a hundred more questions. And then by year, year two or three, I promise you're going to be in the middle of elk, but you're never going to do it. I mean, it's, it's pretty rare to put it all together on paper from home. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. But so with you, it's kind of unique, you know, with you, you know, living out there and, and, you know, running your outfitting business. I'm just so I'm intrigued by it. Again, I, in the the world of social media, seeing, you know, all of the, the trail cam pictures you post and just the amount of scouting and stuff you do to get on these, these giant bulls. I'd love to, you know, kind of hear a little bit about your process and, and I get what it seems like at least is an obsession with, with that, that aspect of it. Um, well, yeah. So I, I, I have a different game, right? You, uh, if you're learning how to hunt elk, if you watch videos of hunting elk out West, you see guys up on ridges with spotting scopes and binoculars and glassing for miles and miles and picking the ground apart, um, which is the way to do it. I mean, it saves a lot of miles on your feet, right? But uh, what what I've done is a little bit different. I grew up hunting that way, and a lot of the bulls I killed early 2000s, that's how we killed them. We'd get out on, we'd backpack in, we'd get out on points, we'd start glassing, we'd start picking apart bulls and, you know, go kill the best one we could glass up. Um, at the time I was running trail cameras. I, I think I started that around 2005, 2006. Um, I, I know my flash cameras were still running 35 mil, uh, film. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I mean, it, it's been a long, long time, but back then we weren't getting pictures to, uh, target bulls we were getting pictures to have fun and and kind of see what was in there when we're not around right mm-hmm. uh, whereas now um so i shifted my game um i kind of grew up hunting southern utah for deer i was down there deer hunting probably around 2006 or 7 i uh, came across my first 400 inch bull um which was awesome to see i'll never forget it it was it's pretty rare you ever see animals like that. Um, but trying to figure out, you know, like watching that elk, like, God, where did he come from? Does he really live out here? What does he do? It's a plateau. Um, there's no glassing points. There's no 
it's an interesting game where I'm at because it's not, I I don't carry binoculars when I hunt ever. Um, I I spend a lot of time on the ground and I learned what I do preseason from watching whitetail TV, like literally like hunting Nebraska, watching whitetail shows, trying to figure out what these guys are doing in the hardwoods. That's what I've ended up doing in Southern Utah on plateaus. So I, I've figured out that elk have rotations. They rotate like any whitetail. They're just a hundred times bigger. You know, whitetails can stay on a two acre farm, 20 acres, uh, 180 acres tops. They, they have these little areas they run and they rotate and you can figure it out and get their timing. And when the moon switches, I mean, it, that buck's dead, right? Yeah. I do the same thing with elk, but their rotations vary on age. Um, some of my younger bulls rotate two to five miles. Uh, some of my older bulls, nine to 11 years old, they rotate on 16 to 18 mile loops. Um, all of them are different. None of them are, I don't have any bulls that run the same routes. I, I have bulls that run ridges like an Iowa whitetail. Um, they, they don't run benches like most of my bulls. All of them have personalities and differences. Um, but for the most part, there's a lot of similarities. Wallows are just scrapes. They, they walk in, they check a wallow. It's just like a time card. Um, they'll go rub their antlers on a tree while they're putting off a scent gland, just like a licking branch for a whitetail. Um, a lot of it's the same thing. I set up my tree stands on pinches. You know, I, I find their transition zones where a lot, a lot of trails come together and I set up there, you know, if I'm getting daylight picks, that it, that's another thing you got to look at. Right. So my preseason game is quite a bit different than most guys. You won't see me up on a ridge glassing and filming velvet bulls. I'm kind of walking big routines, checking trail cameras uh, that I have run along drainages. I go up one drainage and out another, and it usually takes me a, a full day, you know, between 13 and 18 miles a day to check 12 cameras. <laughs> so it, it's a lot of work, but uh, you know, it, it's been successful for me. And especially as I started figuring out patterns on elk, that that's where everything changed. Yeah. That that's so cool. And that, uh, that you hunt them that way. And, you know, and again, I could see, you know, a little bit, some of those tactics that, that you're using, you know, through social media and, and hearing you talk before, but that, that's just, that's super intriguing to me that you're able to, to do that. And then, you know, and it's the same, like you said, it's the same thing with whitetails, like each, each buck has a different personality versus, you know, I mean, like each bull does. And, you know, there's some whitetails that, you know, I run a ton of trail cameras for whitetails and, and, you know, there'll be certain bucks that seem to have just a smaller range. They'll do the same thing the same time every year. And then there's other ones that just, you know, when the, once the, the rut comes in or whatever else, they're just like gone. Like they'll go to, you know, just miles and miles away and, or, you know, one might be a scrapper, you know, every year and is more reactive to calls or some other ones just like to kind of, you know, be alone. And, um, that's interesting that, you know, that's, that you found that correlation from, you know, learning uh, from about whitetails and applied it to the big bulls. Yeah. It, it paid out huge. I mean, like I, my last year was fairly slow. We killed a couple of nice bulls. Um, 18, same, we, you know, like, like nice being 370 types, you know, but whereas you go back to 17, we had a 420 and a 390 and a 375. 
and 16, we had a 407 and a 402. Like we, I mean, we've, we've had some good years and bad, but it's all kind of my game changed around 2014 when I started figuring out these patterns and, and really learning elk behavior. Um, one thing that's a little different elk versus whitetails say elk run benches. Um, it, it's not necessarily a drainage thing or ridges. They work the easiest way possible. I mean, you've got to remember their headgear between 35 and 65 inches wide. And so they've got to find spots where they can navigate easy. And, and you start seeing those pinches a little bit better the more time you kind of spend where they're walking. And so, I don't know, there's a lot of little things, a lot of little things you pick up, but it's just every day being out there, you figure out new stuff. So when, when you're doing this, and again, I'm, I'm going to put my kind of white tail mind in this when I'm asking these questions. So apologize if they don't, they're, they don't sound very intelligent, but, uh, when, so when you're, you know, putting the boots on the ground, scouting and this and running trail cameras, do you have like certain areas that, you know, you try to avoid, you're worried about, you know, um, putting pressure on these bulls or, or do you not, not, uh, you know, put that into your thoughts at all? Well, as far as like pressure, so that, that's another big difference there. Elk, I mean, I, I'll walk in and bust them every now and then. You know, I'm, I'm walking to do an area, I, I check a camera, and there they are sitting there. Obviously, like this part of their routine, um, they come back. It, it might take them a day or two or a week, but mm-hmm. they, they stick to their routines. Um, I don't need to wear rubber boots walking in. I don't, I, I, you'll never catch me in them out in the elk woods. They're just not functional enough. Yeah. Um, and it, it just doesn't seem to matter. Now they run with their nose to the ground, just like a whitetail does, especially during the rut. Um, a lot of their pre, um, pre rut, rut and post rut behavior mimics a whitetail as well. You know, they, they run around with their nose on the ground trying to look for hot does, cows, they do the same type of thing. Um, it, it's interesting. Uh, they even have a lockdown, right? We, big whitetail season. We got a big lockdown where they kind of grab their does and hide in a hole. Uh, cows, elk do the same thing with cows. They'll move them 16 miles into an area where there's no elk. And that's the lockdown. Like you can't find them because they're gone. Um, it, it's interesting uh, but yeah, as, as far as, uh, uh, busting them out of areas or worrying about scent, um, I don't stress about it so much. Uh, I mean, there's obviously some dumb things you don't want to do, but that, you know, for the most part, I don't have to be near as precautious in the oak woods as I do whitetail hardwoods. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that makes sense. Um, so when, when you're scouting them, you know, using the trail cameras and, and, you know, walking through these areas and everything, um, what, what you, I guess you said about the, the daylight photos, but what is really, you know, making you say, all right, I'm going to set up here. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about utilizing tree stands a bunch. So kind of explain your setups and, and how that goes. Well, um, Okay. So if I, if I take an aerial view, so a lot of the times, like I start laying out cameras, um, I just pick random spots. 
I like say I'm walking onto a unit I've never been on. I'll get on Google, start looking for a water source, start looking for a few adjoining benches, and I'll place two or three cameras. And then I'll do that four more miles away and four more miles away, and I start breaking down the unit, and I can cover a lot of ground with 30 cameras. Um, then as I start to put together the intel and find, okay, this is my age class, here are my better bulls, then I start moving in another eight to ten cameras into the area where the better bulls are and breaking down more water sources because, I mean, elk are just big beef sticks, right? Like they've got to have food, they've got to have water. So then I start kind of managing like what their rotation is. And, and if you take an aerial view of a, of a map, you can almost kind of work their migration over, you know, they, they'll make a rotation just like the hands of a clock. And he hits this spot on this day and this spot on this day. And that's three o'clock on the, on the clock. Right. And then you're down at five and then he's over here at nine and you build up a rotation to where, like I've had certain bulls that will hit one camera every 14 days. Right. And that's where I'll start breaking down. Okay. What's my wind doing in those spots? And I'll go in in the morning and I'll go in on the evening, just like you do with your whitetail stands. I'll know in the evenings, my wind's doing this and I've got to have a stand over here, but I can't hunt this spot in the mornings ever. The wind's never good. So then I have a morning spot three miles away where I know he hits on every eighth day. And these are my morning spots. Right. Mm -hmm. And I set them up the same kind of way you would back there. You know, I'm a big tree stand guy. I think you have better thermals. Blinds can be good too, especially with some scent control like an Ozonics. But, um, I like having a bird's eye view. I feel much more comfortable up in a tree watching everything going down than down on the ground. If that makes sense. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really interesting. I, I like that, that, uh, how, how you're doing that with going, you know, in the mornings and evenings and figuring out what the wind does. Cause like you said, it's, it's different. And, and obviously with the terrain that, you know, will change that depending on, you know, thermals and, and other things there. But do you, do you ever have like certain spots that you have multiple tree stands set up or do you have it where you're, you know, more mobile with it that you can, you know, are the, are you moving your stands on demand or how does that work? Well, like what we're talking about mostly now is bow hunting. So bow hunting in Utah and Arizona and Idaho and Nevada, the hunts start in August and this is like no rut behavior, no pre post. This is their summertime patterns. And so being allowed to hunt them in August, you can make patterns. Sorry about that. You're good. Um, she, <laughs> I'm going to put my dog out, but you can, uh, you can break those patterns down. Well, come labor day, this is when their pre rut behavior begins. Just, just like whitetails, they start cruising because they're just making inventory of where all the cows are at. And so starting then, that's when I have to shift my behavior. Like, to, to where, sorry, You're good. Um, I, I, have to, <laughs> I have to shift my behavior to, to watch kind of that. That's when we get our ground ground game going. We get out of the trees. Um, we could still tree stand hunt them. Elk do do wallows. They're just big scrapes. They come in, they check the time clock, they leave. The problem with trophy hunting is that 
and I'm trying to pinpoint one bull, they're cruising for cows so they don't come back to the same spots. There's no routine. And so when we look at tree stands and setting up wind direction and figuring all that out, that's a pre-game August kind of hunt. The second Labor Day kind of kicks in, you know, about the 5th of September. That's when everything switches on elk. There is no routine. And so that's when you start ground game hunting them. That's when you start bugling. Uh, the big bulls don't really bugle that early. That's a lot of your younger age class. Um, they start, they, they, they get in their heads like it's finally their turn to run cows. So they, they're polished up. They start pushing cows and they bugle. So like younger age class, I mean, that's a great time to hunt. You're, you're on some of those units that aren't as hard to draw. Um, that's, that's a great time to capitalize with your bow is that September 5th to 20th area. Whereas about the 20th is when the real estrus starts to hit and the big, big bulls rut. And so that's when you kind of shift again. It, you, you're really aggressive that time of year. Um, the thing about elk that's different than any other thing I've ever hunted is they are aggressive and they don't care about the little things. When the rut kicks in, I don't wear camo. I'm not sneaky. I don't. I don't like hold back, you know, say you're watching like a Primos elk video, right? And they're bow hunting. So, you know, you got to take that part into consideration, but they get a collar set up a hundred yards behind the shooter in the direction of the wind. Cause the elk will move with the wind cause they they're cautious. Right. So th- that collar sits back a hundred yards and, and ambush tries, tries to set up an ambush for those elk with the shooter way out in front and it works out every fifth, sixth opportunity. You work a bull, he comes in, you shoot him. You know, when you're not trophy hunting, that's not a big deal. Um, during the rut, hard rut, late September, you will never catch my shooters being quiet. I, I'll set up just like they would on a Primos video, but elk are noisy and they're huge. And so for me to get them to come in, I don't quietly sit back patiently. I, I run till we're in front of them. We get the wind right. And then I make noise and, and I don't necessarily cow call or bugle, but I snap limbs. I rub trees with branches. I make a lot of noise because that pulls them in twice as fast as a call does in my experience. So that's the fun part about elk. Like the rut is fun. It's, it's a, the best word is probably romantic. It's a romantic type setting because the, the fall colors, like the, the elk, are like, I mean, it is amazing to sit back and watch elk move a hillside. Like it's just beautiful. It's fun. But for trophy hunting, it's hard because I'll call in 20, 330 class bulls before I have one that breaks 350. Mm-hmm. Man. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. It's, it's, it's funny, you know, the, one of the things that, that I've liked about like just the elk woods and, and you, you see it, you know, a lot more is, but being able to see those seasons change and, you know, being out there through it, you know, you're out there patterning them and doing that, you know, early on, especially with the earlier seasons like Utah has and, you know, focus on that water and the tree stand style. And then, you know, the leaves are changing, everything else, the weather's changing a little bit, you know, the cows are coming to estrus and it goes into, you know, into September and some different parts there, then you're 
on the ground running around and it's just that that to me is so cool and and I, I you know I experienced that when I started the last couple of years hunting you know two weeks at a time out there and being able to see the things change is just is you know it's amazing there's nothing really like um elk hunting that's for sure no it, it's different it it's just different and that's the, the only way you can describe it i mean i've i've tried axis deer during the roar I, i've hunted mule deer in the rut obviously i've done whitetail i, I love whitetail in the rut there, there is nothing that's as aggressive and scenically like that nothing compares as September in the elk woods. Nothing that I've experienced, not yet. Yeah. And so, you, you know, I, I geek out over it a little bit, probably more than most guys, but <laughs> you know, it, there's something there. It's pretty fantastic. So when you're, um, you're talking about, you know, calling in all those other, um, bulls that, you know, in, in the area you're hunting, isn't something that, you know, your clients want to take or, or anything else you're hunting, you know, true trophy bulls, but, and so you're not doing, you know, much calling itself or are you using them to locate it all and then kind of switching tactics to, you know, making noise or how, how does that look? Um, Again, it, it kind of depends on the week. I, I shift tactics a little bit. Um, like a lot of the time, especially if you're fighting moon, if you have a full moon at night, you're out kind of, they'll stay out and rut all night long. Um, it makes the daytime hunting hard. Um, that's where I kind of will do a lot of locating bugles. So I'll go out in the middle of the night, ridge to ridge to ridge, bugling, trying to figure out where the bigger portions of the herds are taking notes on where the big bugles are. And obviously I, I capitalize on my cameras as I'm moving through that country, trying to figure out what bulls are where. Um, so yeah, I'll do locate bugles, uh, quite a bit. Um, if you got good rut going on during the day, um, I'll kind of do the same thing to an extent, but more often, I mean, those are the days depending on how many steps you make, but I probably average 15 miles. You know, there, there's days I'll do, I, I had one last fall, we did 21 miles in a day. Now, obviously that day we didn't do very many setups because when you set up, everything slows down, right? Yeah. But I mean, we do a lot of miles and that's, that's the hard thing about elk is it's a physical game. Um, you, you're fighting elevation, you're fighting um, just straight and, and i don't mean elevation like on your legs elevation on your lungs and and vegetation i've noticed like when, when i'm at high altitude in the trees i breathe better than i do at high altitude where you're you're above timberline it, it's weird but you can move a lot quicker when you're on the north face of pines even though you're still at eleven thousand feet um you're, you fight a lot of elements when you're elk hunting and so it, it is a physical game. It, it's quite a bit different in that respect. And it's almost why I appreciate whitetail hunting so much is because I can see my truck half the time and I can read a book while I'm sitting at a tree stand. Yeah. Kind of a little bit relaxing for you once you, once you get back. <laughs> um, right. After, right. after the elk season. But you, um, uh, I want to come back to the whitetail thing here in a minute, but you, 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 brought something up that um you know that's important to me and and i i definitely see you take it really serious is like your just your you know overall fitness and, and you know getting ready from that side of 
things, you know, your overall health and fitness when it comes to elk hunting and kind of, you know, you, you explained about, you know, having a 21 mile day, like that's sounds absolutely ridiculous, especially at elevation and, and through the different terrain and everything. But what, what does that look like for you and why is it, you know, so important? Well, you know, I, I go to the gym every day for aesthetic reasons. I, I really like it. It's a different thing. As I start shifting gears into summertime and start doing cameras and I'm hanging out at elevation more, I, I shed about 20 pounds a year. Um, because really you don't need a lot of muscle mass for elk hunting. You, you need to be able to move. And so I, I take my fitness more serious than a lot of guys, but less serious than a lot of guys you see on social media. Um, guys that really function well, weigh about 30 pounds less than me. You know, I, I, as of right now, I'm probably 207. I'm 5'10. I, I have a lot of meat on my bones. I have too much meat, too many red blood cells <laughs> to function well at high elevation. Like you get a, you get a guy that's my height and 160 pounds. Yeah. He can't pack 110 pounds, but you know, he gets the job done. He can move 18 miles a day. And so, you know, the fit, the fitness part is a big deal. I go to the gym every day. I lift weights. I, I care about the aesthetic part of fitness. Like, and that's the nice thing I enjoy about winter is I don't stress so much about my cardio. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I do shift gears, um, come June because that's when I really start spending a lot more time at elevation. Um, and, and it's, it's a hard game. Uh, don't come out West, not prepared. Um, I can't tell you how many guys that show up on their dream hunts and day two were sitting in camp because they got altitude sickness. Um, their body's not used to that, that low oxygen percentage and it takes them a day to acclimate and kind of get used to things. And even then we're day four before they're really functioning well. And we're doing over 10, 12 miles a day. Um, it's, it's a hard deal. So coming out West, you kind of got to prepare. I mean, not that there's not high up mountains on the East side. There are, I've, I've been high elevation in Virginia before it's tough, but it's way different out here. The air's drier, the elevation's hard, the, the scrub oak kicks your ass. Yeah. But it's, it's, it, that's all part of the game and it's fun in the end. You appreciate it, but it, it can be a tough gear shift out here. That's, that's one thing that, you know, I've tried to explain to people too. Like when, you know, when I started going out West the first time, I had never even like been out there even for any other, any reason, you know, I've just showed up for the first hunt and, the elevation just, you know, straight up kicked my ass. It was, it wasn't that, you know, there's areas in Pennsylvania, like you said, Virginia and all the Carolinas and stuff that are, have arguably just a steep terrain in some places, but it's so different when it's at three or 4,000 feet versus 10 or 11,000 feet. Like that's, that's just, there, there's no comparison when it comes to that. And, um, you know, so that, that definitely plays a role on it. And I, I can, you know, promise you no matter what you're never gonna wish you were in worse shape so um if you the, the more the better you're in shape probably the more enjoyable your trip is and like you said with people going on hunts with you you know those are once in a lifetime you know type opportunities there it's it would uh 
probably be in your best interest to to be as prepared as possible. Yep. And it, and it's not, I, I, I say it again, you, you don't have to be this diehard guy that you see on social media. It's not that critical. Yeah. There, there's still a lot of places where you can hunt from the road. I mean, Utah's infamous for our road hunters here. It's, it's embarrassing. They, they have jokes. The Mormon militias out on opening day. Like it's crazy. <laughs> and, and these, these guys are successful in ways they are. But I mean, if you are to come out West and with, with the intent of uh, killing your best animal possible, like you have those intentions of like really going after the upper age class and working as hard as you can. Yeah. You, you need to get your ass to the gym. Like you've got to spend some time on the stair climber. It, it, it is in your best interest that that's how you get successful. I'm not saying you, you have to have these big ripped muscles and veins popping everywhere. I'm just saying you have to be able to move and function with as little air possible. And, you know, one of my biggest things I try to teach guys is recovery. I'm all about recovery. You don't see me at the gym taking a pre-workout. Um, when, when you see my stuff with mountain ops, I, I don't, I don't promote a lot of their energy based product. What I promote is their branch chain amino acids. Like I want to get my ass back in the game. I, I need my probiotics. I need uh, slumber. I need a hard night's sleep. And so those those are the type of things that I noticed. I'm 43 right now. That's where I struggle keeping up with my guides that are 29. Is that you know we we'll, we'll go hard for three or four hundred yards. They're ready to go in a minute. It takes me a minute and a half, two minutes before I catch my breath. And they're like, come on, old man, like, let, let's move. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, kiss my ass. I'm getting there. It, it, I mean, it, that's there. And so the best shape you can be helps. It, like if you can recover fast to where you can get in front of those big animals, I mean, elk or horses, dude, they move and, and they have no problem covering a couple miles. I, I had one bull cover 12 miles in a day, a day, we like I, I it blew my mind to see him move from one spot to another and we had to totally shift gears on our hunting because we were up in the high aspens like chasing him in grass with all these cows and then all of a sudden he's down in the desert we we're hunting him in pj's uh, sand and buck brush like it, it, it's a different thing and you've got to be able to move they that they move quick but if you're in shape i mean i've set up on the same bull six different times in one day they're not smart. They have good instincts. As long as you play the wind right and you can move, you can keep working the same bull over and over and over again. It's just, it's a physical game at that point. The rut's a, the rut's a fun thing. Yeah. And, and, and Ryan, just from my limited experience with going out there, I mean, the biggest thing for me was like, you know, the last, this past year, I felt like I was in, you know, better shape than I ever was. And by doing that, you just had more confidence and, like, oh, okay, if I don't find elk here, I'll just go over there. And it's not, like, such a big thing where you get in your own head of, like, man, that's going to suck. You know, as soon as you start saying that stuff to yourself, then you're you're kind of out of the game a little bit. Where if you're, you know, you're confident in being able to do that and, and being able to to move and you, you know, your hunting partners or whatever that are in the on the same boat, I feel like that just opens up the, the opportunities there. And, and that's a huge point. You know, I, I tell people all the time, like, uh, you're coming out here, hire a guide. 
the reason I say it is not because I'm trying to drive business. I trust me, I stay busy. I'm good. I, because you want a partner who will work as hard as you, mm-hmm. who, who's willing to take the time off work, who's willing to set aside their tag or their time with their family to be with you. Those partners are hard to find. Um, so a, a guide's a paid buddy that's that good, but man, if you can find a partner like you did, when you come out West guys who are willing to sacrifice the time and energy and willing to do that, you know, there's some of my clients where we'll do 1400 feet before dawn. You find guys that'll do it with you, man, you guys can succeed out here. It, it's huge, mm-hmm. but it, it's hard to find partners that are willing to to do everything you are you know what i'm saying yeah no that's that's probably you know one of the biggest questions when it comes to western hunting that you know i get from people from the east is like how do i find people that are wanting to do that and that's not an i don't really have an answer um you know for that and that's a, that's a good point about what you're saying about hiring the you know hiring a guide or, or whatever and and that's something that that someone brought that to my attention, you know, and I was starting to get into it and stuff. They're like, man, they're like, if you, you know, if, if it's important to you and you want to learn and you want to reduce that learning curve, hire, you know, hire a guide, they're going to, you know, but be an active participant in it. And you, again, you could probably speak way better on this than I can, but, you know, be an active participant and learn and go through that. And if you want to do it on your own, you know, down the road, then, you can, you're ready, you know, a few steps ahead. Well, you can say that about any mentor, right? If, if you can find a good mentor, everything changes. And, and that, I mean, I had a mentor in whitetail hunting and that guy changed my entire elk game by learning his strategies on whitetail. So, you know, finding that part, dude, you, you figure out how to find good partners that work hard. Like, dude, you you're going to make a lot of money in life. That's there's no like there's no uh, easy answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, guides are a good good resource out. You're a long ways away, um, but you know a partner can be just as good. I I know some phenomenal elk hunters that live in Wisconsin. <laughs> you wouldn't know it, but man, they come out here and and crush it because they've done it over and over and over again. You just got to tap into search sources and be open. You, you, you know, a lot of my elk hunts, I, I've turned guys away from coming and hunting with us because of their attitude. They, they don't have a, like a winning attitude. They don't have a, they have an attitude like, Hey, I know everything. I know how to hunt elk. I just want to hire you. Cause I know you, you know where they kind of are, but yeah. you're the killing to me. <laughs> and those are the guys I can't work with because even though they may be right, I would never say I'm, I'm the best elk hunter. There's way better guys than me. But what I would say is like, I, you know, the, having the ability to bounce ideas off each other and, and kind of make a play on something, you've got to have some good synergy there. And, and having a guy who's closed minded like that does not work in my camp ever, ever. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, man. And so when you were saying, um, you know, you had kind of like a mentor when you got into the, you know, whitetail hunting and stuff. When did, when did that start and what was, um, so what did that look like when you, you know, really started getting into the whitetail side of things? You know what? I, uh, my first two whitetail hunts were out in Virginia. They were a muzzy gun hunt and I've never laughed so hard in my life. Like 
I think I, I killed a buck. And the first year I killed a doe, like we weren't in big deer country. We were just there to laugh and have a great time. Um, but that good time translated into me like, Hey, I, I'm really digging this. Like, let's, let's spread our wings a little where are the big deer dying, you know? And then I start focusing on some Midwest States and I start looking into leases. And then I made a buddy in Colorado who was from Pennsylvania, grew up in Pennsylvania. And now he's just a nut. And we tied up a lease in Nebraska and started hunting together. And he taught me a ton of stuff. And, and anymore, like, he calls me for elk advice and I'm like, dude, you know, the answer, like, what do we do? And we're chasing whitetails and this is the scenario. And, and he's like, dude, that makes so much sense. Yeah. You know, and we're willing to learn off each other, but I mean, everything in life is that way. It, you know, you want to start your own business, find a good partner who's willing to work as hard as you, you know, that, that, that if you can find people who are willing to work, you can be really successful in a lot of things, mm-hmm. but finding those people that that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, it, it, that's, it, it's so true. And, and, and like, like you said, I mean, there's so many things that, you know, from hunting side of things that you can, you know, that I guess cross the boundaries over and relate to so many other things in life and, and, you know, and your family and everything else. And, you know, the, the partner thing is, is one of those things. And the, as I get older and start, you know, kind of going into different avenues and want to learn more about business, I'm learning so much about like just the people you spend your time around and, and you're able to interact with and talk with. It's so important and can really, you know, help yourself and, and, you know, help each other out, you know, especially when it comes to like hunting partners. It's huge. It's huge. And, and you're right. I mean, that goes to even picking your wife, right? Like, yeah, you, there, there's gotta be, there's, there's gotta be a, a give and take on both sides. Um, and, and like, so in, in elk hunting, it's the very same thing. Like, you, you know, you're, you're both going to go out to Colorado with tag in hand. You've got to take turns falling back and calling while the other guy's trying to make a play and, and you learn things off each other. You know, one of the, the best tactics for killing redding bulls is not, not trying to get them to come to you because they bet up in the middle of the day. Right. So elk, elk, uh, they'll, they'll go, go hard and heavy in the mornings. Elk migrate quite a bit. Um, they, they move up in the mornings. They go down at night everywhere I've ever hunted elk. That's their pattern. You know, you get into some weird places where they're on mesas and the, the up and down elevation isn't part of it, but they have their, you know, we move west in the mornings and east at night. And then somewhere in between is their bedding. They're your best plays are in the middle of the day, but you don't do it by taking your collar in and working your collar in on a bull. Your collar might sit a half mile away and bugle because those elk bugle in their beds. And so you can make a play by having your collar just sit under the sun in a grassy meadow bugling while you work your way up into their bedding area and kill them but you've got to have someone willing to make sacrifices for you for your success to work and theirs as well. Right. So a good partner is like almost essential coming out West because at minimum, minimum, I, I go six miles in a day. It, that's a tough spot to be when you're by yourself. 
I mean, I, I do it a lot, but I, I rely on things like my Garmin inReach. I communicate with a lot of people. Um, my guides are both locals that live what kind of where we hunt. I'm able to communicate where I'm at pretty quick, pretty easy. So, but a lot of the times you come out from a place you're not used to, you're out there six miles in by yourself. You're, you're in trouble. If you're not prepared, you are not in a good place. Mm. So good partners are crucial out here. Yeah. And, and one thing that you said there, like it's, it's easy for someone to say, you know, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm in it for you and it's, but finding someone that truly, you know, wants your success just as bad as their own is, is like just next level. And, you know, I've learned that and have found, you know, a few hunting partners that are that way. And I, it makes you not even want to hunt with anybody else because, you know, you feel like you'll be let down because, you know, when you find those people that are like that, that just, you know, care about your success just as much, if not more than their own, then that's, that's huge. And, you know, and then you got to be that good partner as well. Well, and, and you'll see, like, I mean, if you go to Colorado with the same guys you went with last year, in the back of your head, you're like, man, I killed an awesome bull next year. I really want my buddy to kill. And his success is going to be priority for you until he gets one. Yeah. And so you guys, you guys, you're going to grind twice as hard. And those relationships grow as seasons pass. Um, the, the, the two kids that work for me have worked for me for 10 or 11 years now. I have no secrets from them. Like none. They know where every camera is. They have keys to every box. They know where every one of my bulls have died because they've helped pack almost every one of them off. And I mean, they're my brothers, like they know everything and it's hard to pull in new guides that you can trust with that kind of information. It's something you have to cultivate year after year after year. And you know, you're, you'll, you'll see just like in anything else, man, you, you get these guys who, who are willing to, to sacrifice to grow with you. Like they stay your brother forever, man. It's a big deal. It is. It, yeah, that really is. And, and that's, that's why, you know, the, the elk film I had, I named it synergy because it was, you know, a bunch of people that, that, you know, ended up in a result of, you know, one person and myself, you know, killing a bull, but it was the culmination of a bunch of people that, you know, work together for that, for that, you know, one, one result there, I guess. Well, and I think, you know, as, as the hunting community grows and tags get harder, you see that a little more here in Utah, like I, I, you, you can only put in for one species on the lottery as a resident. Uh, you, if you from Pennsylvania put in for Utah, you can put in for every species because tags are so hard to come by. Whereas resident, I have to pick elk, mule deer, bighorn sheep. I can only do one. Right. Um, so when you do finally draw a tag, everyone wants to go, everyone wants to be a part of it. And, and as each one of those people in that group draw, you're all there for each other. You, you cultivate some pretty awesome relationships because the tags are so hard to come by. It, it's a weird thing. So like it's it, the West is kind of weird, you know, like you see these big group photos with these guys around a dead elk, that there's 20 guys in the photo and you laugh and like, Oh, there's Utah. Well, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> that it, makes it, sense. It, 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 those, those opportunities are so slim. Everyone wants to be a part. Everyone wants to help. And you know, you plant seeds. That's how you get your best hunting partners. 
is by being there and helping somebody else with a tough hunt. Yeah, that's for sure. That's, that's cool. And you know, it almost, it almost reminds me of it's different, but similar is like the hunting camp tradition that we have in like Pennsylvania where, you know, there's just a, a bunch of people to get, together you know working towards that common goal and you know it's not that's not based off of you know tags or anything else it's just like the, that tradition standpoint and that's like you're you made me laugh when you said that about others oh, you talk because that's that's the same thing when <clears throat> from the whitetail side of things people see photos in pennsylvania especially during the rifle season you know there'll be these big group photos you know around a deer hanging on a pole on a meat pole or anything like that. And it's like, Oh, that's, that's Pennsylvania for you. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that's what, you know, if we're going to keep this tradition alive, that's what we have to keep cultivating. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's never, it's never something to make fun of. I, I think those are the best moments. Those are the things. What I remember hunting with my grandpa were my favorite parts is the, the photos of us sitting in, you know, on the beaver mountains with four dead two points we're all sitting there in orange and like, it's comical, but at the same time, like that's what sucked me in. Yeah. That's, that's when, you know, I'm sitting there 20 something years old and I'm, yeah, it's time for me to stop skateboarding. Like I'm going to get back into this and, and dive in head first. Right. So I love that part of the tradition. I I think we need more of that. I, I like, I like seeing people tell stories because it's the stories that really resonate with everybody uh watching films like yours that's that's why i reposted it is because like like i i I laughed i i don't know if you remember what comment i made something i I made something look at this pa guy coming out here doing it better than most westies yeah i I, I meant that (laughs) i meant that it's a it's a dig at a lot of guys who drive the roads and and don't get things done I, i want people to come to camp and build a big fire and laugh and, and spend time with your friends and family because that's what hunting is. It, it's not the grip and grin. That's not what sucked us in originally. It, it's not what's going to carry us into the next generation. It's just everyone being at camp laughing and making good food and enjoying the partnerships you have because that's what resonates. That's what's going to help us because, you know, as I see hunting numbers dwindle back east and, and hunting numbers grow out west, it, it kind of makes me sad when I see people on social media bashing each other. It's like, no, the, the grip and grin isn't that big of a deal. 340 inches, 390. I don't care. We're, we're all here to have fun. Mm-hmm. Like let's enjoy each other's successes and, and, and make this a great experience. Yeah, no, man, that's, that's so true. And, and I, I learned that, that lesson, you know, a lot this year, um, from the elk hunting standpoint of, you know, how much fun it is when you hunt with a group of people and, you know, just kind of getting back to that a little bit, you know, for a couple of years, I got so focused on, on, you know, trying to, you know, doing the backpack style hunting, which I love that there's a great aspect to it. But, um, this, this idea where, again, we had great group of guys at camp, you know, we were all coming back at night, you know, talking about stories, you know, helping each other out, you know, cause me and another guy killed our bulls early. So we were, which he, he wasn't in the, in the film cause he killed it right before we got out there. But so we're out there, you know, trying to help the other guys, you know, fill their tags and everything else. And it was just that camp camaraderie and everything was just like huge. Like at the end of that trip, you know, driving back, we were all like, you know, that was that's what it's all about. Like that is amazing. And, and 
for me, like the the whitetail side of things, my archery season is more of a, a solo endeavor, and and again, I really enjoy that. But when it comes to the the gun season, I love the aspect of going to camp and having everyone around, and you know, taking it from a little bit of a a less serious standpoint sometimes too. No, it's huge. That's why I love going to whitetail camp, even though I'm bow hunting and it is a solo endeavor. I I don't gun hunt. Um, my favorite part is being out there with my buddies. We're all in different areas. We have our evening stands, our morning stands. We draw names out of a hat for who sits where, and then we pick each other up, seeing who has bloody arrows and who doesn't. Or, you know, I I mean that's my favorite part. It's not necessarily the, the grip and grins that we get before we go home. It, it's, it, it's just being away from all the stresses, everyday stresses and being out with your buddies and, and, and laughing the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I, I joke about my Virginia hunts because I, I mean, I, I was in the most redneck place on the planet. It, like, you know, I, I remember the guy who took me out there. This is, 2000 nothing right this was forever ago <laughs> and he, he jokes like that side of the trails west virginia like i'm like i know i know don't shoot anything on the left he's like no no don't talk to anybody on the left side of the trail stay away like you're in the backwoods of virginia and I, but dude i have never laughed so hard in my life <laughs> I, I had more more fun back in those backwoods of virginia than i have almost on most of my elk hunts because I laughed so hard for so long. And I mean, those are the things that suck you in, you know, those are the things that are going to help us grow. I, I, I think it's important. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree. That's, that's cool that, that you've been able to find that, you know, the, that enjoyment out of whitetail hunting. And like, like you said, sometimes I do hear that or you see it on social media, just kind of like the, the separation between, you know, Eastern guys and Western guys at times. And I never really understood that, you know, I just, I think it's great from, you know, either perspective and each has their own challenges. That's that's the best part about it. It's nothing's the same. I, I like, you know, there's, there's hater pages everywhere on forums, on Instagram, on Twitter. There's people, that's what they live for is to get on and, and, and cause problems. And let's be honest, our, our demographics and alpha type, uh, it's just a bunch of dudes trying to, you know, measure up who has the longer prostate. I don't know, but <laughs> the, in in all reality, we're all on the same team. We're all trying to get outdoors. We're all trying to help uh, conservation to keep our her- herds healthy, to to be a part of something that's outside of everyday home life and sales and and revenue, and we're just out there to have fun, and so. Uh, you know, I, I, I get both sides of it and, and it's fun to kind of laugh at, you know, I, I, it is like, I, I see some of those hater pages and they make good, good points. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they call people out on their silly bullshit and it, it's a good thing. But at the same time, like I, it, we, we all need to laugh about it and then get back to why each thing was important. And in the end, I, I think, you know, that there, there are some people who have grudges and there are some, you know, people i I think you can avoid it on all types of platforms, but for the most part, most everybody I see is pretty uh, optimistic. Mm-hmm. They're they're all pretty friendly, and we're we're all pretty supportive of each other. Um, I, I hate seeing the other side of it. Uh, there, there's no reason for it. Not, not I mean, to some extent, when there's poaching and stuff, yeah. I mean, 
but for the most part, the, the more support we can give each other, the more uh, growth we can have within the industry out. Like it's positive outlooks always a better look on things. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty as anybody of, of, you know, laughing at some of the jokes and everything. But like you said, there's, there's, there's a, you know, time to, to do that. And also a time when, you know, you got to ultimately come together on it. It's all right to, to mess around with things, but not be completely filled with, filled with hate along those side of things. Cause that just, that just deters people and just not, you know, good overall. Um, on, on that topic, Ryan. So I got a question for you. Does, does it bother you when you hear anybody, uh, compare elk hunting to turkey hunting? (laughs) Um, no, like it's laughable to me, right? Yeah. (laughs) I, I I get you guys, I, I get turkey hunters are, are, you know, they're setting up, they're making a stand there trying to call something in i i get it but like at the same time there is nothing funnier like that that's like comparing hunting jackrabbits with with giant midwest whitetail like it's it's comical but it doesn't get under my skin i i Uh just it's not for me like and and that's where i leave it like okay like yeah yeah. (laughs) you know i've killed a lot of turkeys i've done easterns i've gun rios i've I, none of them got my heart going like an elk does. Yeah. So I, I, like I said before, everyone's got a different kind of spice. Like you enjoy what you're doing. It's great. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know. Are you a big Turkey guy? I, I do like Turkey hunting. I do. Uh, but it's, it's not the same. I, <laughs> you know, it, there, there's aspects of it that are similar, especially when like you're hunting, you know, big timber turkeys where you're, actually running ridges and calling and doing different things like that but it's not it's not the same i just i just brought that up because i just always think that's funny um i've seen people get super worked up over it and i just i just laugh (laughs) you know about that but it's definitely it's definitely not the same whatsoever yeah well let's be honest it's those turkey weirdos that get all, all huffed up about it (laughs) no i just kidding (laughs) all right you're gonna have to watch now you're gonna get a whole bunch of people filling up your your dms on instagram you know bitching about you uh making fun of turkey hunters (laughs) (laughs) it wouldn't phase me at all like like i said i i uh i have nothing on it i've never i've never compared it because i've never had a turkey hunt that compared yeah, and and that's what I tell guys when they when they get all happy about it. I'm like, look, dude, I I've done sets. I've killed a lot of birds. I I don't get all worked up like I do on elk. But the same thing I could say with whitetails. Um, I when I'm hunting out west, whether it's mule deer or elk, I don't get uh, what's the word like buck fever. I don't get excited. Mm-hmm. I in my like what I'm doing. Uh, I'm constantly in play because I'm on the ground with them. I'm, I'm, I'm able to move, you know, even after the shot, I'll shoot them. I I'm paying attention. Okay. The winds, you know, on my left ear, he's going to move downhill cause he's an elk based on those two things. He's going to move over here. I got to go. And I move to the next spot and I try to get ahead of him and you're trying to get another bullet in him. And I never take time to get excited. Whereas when I'm tied to a tree in the Midwest, right? Like, that deer has to put his head down in this spot. He has to take this trail 
everything has to come together. It's, it's Darwinism's finest moment is bow hunting in the Midwest because you're stuck in a tree doing nothing. Like all you can do is screw up your shot yeah. if you ever get your bow back. And dude, my heart beats out of my chest. Like I, a million times a minute that I tell everyone like, that's the sugar. That's what makes everything fun is, is bow hunting whitetails. And everyone looks at me like, dude, you're crazy. I would way rather have an elk screaming at me. And I'm like, yeah, I, I like that too. Yeah. But everything's, everything's different. And like I said, I, I have nothing against turkey hunters. I don't even compare them because I've never had a comparable experience. Yeah. I, I've never got the sugar on a turkey ambush. And so, you know, everyone's different. It's all good. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's funny. And, and yeah, I, I never heard it compared to as far as like with, when you're sitting in a tree stand all day, that's, that's what you have to work yourself up about <laughs> that encounter. And, uh, would definitely explain some of the elevated heart rates and uncontrollable shaking at times. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. It's why we do what we do, right? Yeah, that, that's so true, man. But um, so, Ryan, is there anything else that uh, you wanted to cover here or want to want to talk about? Um, you know, just just based on on your demographics, like where you're located, what you do, um, as you're pulling guys out west, and, and but you have a lot of followers out east. I, if I could tell any anybody anything what gives me the most heartbreak is when people look at the complexities of acquiring tags out West and give up on it. Um, it like, once you do it, you start figuring things out. I, if I could give advice, I would just say, if you guys have dreams to come out West, just do it. Like there are plenty of opportunities. There's general season, Utah, you can come out here and hunt spikes every year. A spike bull is like a, you know, a, a yearling whitetail. They just have one on each side and you can come out to Utah every year and do it. It's over the counter. It's a couple hundred bucks. It, the nice thing is they're on the limited entry units. So you're hunting spike bulls. You'll probably see 46 points while you're sitting there hunting spike bulls. But by doing so you're learning terrain, you're learning behavior, you're, you're learning elevation and the hiking and what it takes. And if you kill one, how hard it is to get it out you learn everything you need. Like the success to being a killer is killing things. Like don't let the, the hard like paperwork side of hunting out West slow you down from coming out here because this is fun. Like it, it is just different. Just like what I love about going out East is different to me. You guys will get a kick out of coming out West. It, it's a, it is a fun thing to be a part of. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's, I think that's great advice, man. And, and, and definitely something that I, I think there's still, you know, an information gap with a lot of the people in the East is, is, you know, knowing about those opportunities and, and, uh, that's why I like talking to people like yourself and, and being able to show the realities of that, you know, and my, that's my, my, my biggest goal with everything with this podcast and everything else is just, just to show people that there are, you know, opportunities like that, that I didn't know about until I just did it. And it, you know, it sounds dramatic, but it literally changed my life as far as, you know, being able to find those experiences. And then it just snowballed from there, I guess. Well, and 
um, you know, my favorite part about you, I've listened to a few podcasts. It, it wasn't the, uh, it wasn't the podcast and the knowledge that sucks me in. It, it was your story. The, the fact that you're willing to work and, and get, get dirty and do the things that are important. I, I think, um, that's important for people to hear is passing on those stories to do films, to, to share what the experience is. So, you know, on that note, like keep doing what you're doing. Um, that film you did was captured a lot of what this is out here. Um, and so that's why I like, I had to repost it and jump on it. I want people to see that. And my demographic out here, that's what people do. And they're like, well, that was no big deal. Yeah. For me to see, see what you do, where you're from, I know where you're from, right? Like I've been to PA. I know what hunting is out there. And to see you come out and do what you did is a huge success, huge success. And telling those stories helps other people see it's obtainable. And, and it's important. This, this like thing of elk hunting or mule deer hunting or anything out here is obtainable for anybody who wants to reach out and grab it. And, and I want people to not be deterred by the complexity of paperwork. It's, it's a big deal. Just come out and have a good time. You know, that's what it's about. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate that, Ryan. And, and yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly it is, you know, if you put in some work and, and time with it, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a great elk hunter by any means, not even a good elk hunter, but what it took for me was just keep doing it, just keep doing and learning and making mistakes and failing and just keep going. And anybody can do that. You know, there's nothing about my story that's any you know special or anything with, it's just getting out there and doing it and, and making that happen. And yeah, that's, 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 you know, that's what I want to get across and, and yeah, just get out there and, and chase your dreams. If that's what, if that's what you want. Mm-hmm. No, but it's, it's good advice and, you know, keep, keep telling your story, you know, maybe one day you want to do another podcast. I could probably put one out on just funny Oak stories. Cause I got a million of them, <laughs> like, but I mean, that's what, that's what drive, drives us. And I, I think it's a great deal. I, I, was, I was happy to see the film. Yeah. Happy to sit down and talk with you for a minute. I honestly, it, it, it's a, it's great to get to know people who are willing to put in the work. So, um, thanks for reaching out. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, we'll, we'll definitely have to do another one. I'd really enjoyed talking to you here and if you would, would you, uh, want to share a little bit where people can find some more information on you, uh, your outfitting business or whatever you want to want to talk about there? Um, you know, uh, the, the only one I really cultivate like uh, is, is my Instagram, Ryan underscore DC outfitters. It's the same under Twitter uh, Facebook's DCC Outfitters Facebook page. I have a website. I think I've kind of let it go because I, I I don't need to drive business. It seems like uh, because tags are so rare and the area that I hunt, there's so few. I, I book out every year. So I, I stopped focusing on uh, trying to sell hunts as much as I just do try to promote hunting and build a brand. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I, I post a lot of stuff there. Most of it, uh, gets fed into the other feeds. You can find me on any of them. I'll probably be the most responsive on Instagram if you got questions. So feel free. Um, a lot of times I, I 
I, I bang out messages on DMs. I, I do a lot of videos while I'm driving. Hey, this is what you do. This is how you put in. Uh, but send me a send me a message if you got questions. I'll do my best to answer. Awesome. Well, again, thanks for coming on, man. It's great to to be able to talk to you here, you know, through the phone and looking forward to meet you in person one of these times. Yeah. Uh, you need to get out to Utah or Montana for a tack event. Uh, we'll go run the mountain with some bows. How's that sound? That sounds like a blast. <laughs> that sounds like a good time right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know you've been to a few, um, Sean DeGray that runs the TAC events, uh, he's one of the my partners in DC Outfitters. And so uh, anytime you can make your way out, I'll line up a shoot for us. It'll be fun. Cool. Well, that that works for me, man. Um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon here. And you have a good rest of your night. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.